0: mornings a week we meet before breakfast for an
1: early morning run we spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms
0: this has become our favorite professional development so we figured why not share these moments with you welcome to math before breakfast
2: this
1: is episode 75 i'm tracy Provitt. i'm Ruth kiaga
2: and i'm jay Prophet. and
1: we're back Hey, Ruth. Hey, Jay. Hey. Um,
2: hey.
1: We have taken a long break uh, during the summer to, for the purpose of learning and listening and thinking about race and racism and anti-racism. And we felt like it was a good time to come back because both of us are back in, all of us are back in school. Yes. And we have learned a lot and have, you know, some of that to share, but we also know that you know, as we are at school, we're going to have opportunities to learn what we've used. So, we thought we would kind of sum up some things, or really maybe not sum it up, but just share some things that we've done or learned recently, and then also start to talk about what's happening with math in our buildings. So, because that is back as well. Yes,
2: <laughs> math is back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is.
0: So, Ruth, you want to go first? Talk about sure. What's up? So, I'm actually in the classroom. Um, My students are socially distanced and we're all wearing masks. And things aren't normal, but something that I've done every year, I have done this year as well. I just did it a little bit differently. Um, I always talk about bullying with my students and I always provide at the opportunity at the end of my lesson for them to sign this no bully board. Um, We talk about the importance of knowing where you stand in this whole situation. And I feel like the three situations I have read about in this book, which I'll share in just a second, you are either a bully or you are being bullied or, you know, it's happening and you're making a decision about what to do about it.
2: So there's no neutral uh, position for someone
0: there's, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Um, and I tell my sixth graders that because bullies don't, bully in front of teachers um they bully in private where just a few people kind know about it and so in this whole racism thing those positions are pretty similar and you have to make a decision about what you're going to do and so in school when we talk about no bullying i always start with the book that i was challenged to read um in 2007 I actually met this author, Frank Peretti. And I don't know if you remember this, Tracy, but it was the first year I went to LCA to be a math teacher. And Liberty called me and asked me to come teach writing at Liberty, like just do a writer seminar. Yeah. And I taught foursquare writing. And Frank Peretti was like the featured speaker. And because we were all speakers, we got to go to lunch. And I had read all of his books in high school and was just so excited to sit beside this author. So I conveniently chose a seat beside him at lunch and we chit chatted a little bit. And he said, so you're a teacher. So what do you do when you see bullying happen? And I'm like, or he said, what do you do about bullying in your classroom? And I was like, oh, well, when I see it happen, I address it. And he just was like, that's the lamest thing that you could say, because it doesn't happen when you see it. It happens all the time. And you have to address it. And then we just kind of didn't talk. The rest, because <laughs> was called just you super, lame. He shut you down. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did. And um, we went back and we did our sessions. And then he found me at the end. And he said, I really feel like you need to read this book. And it was the story of his life. It's called No More Bullies. And he was born with a tongue that was too big for his mouth. So it just stuck out all the time. Mm-hmm. Wow. And because it stuck out, it grew little hairs he talks about. And sometimes it had scabs on it. And his parents did not want to homeschool him. They felt like he needed to be in the general population. And it's just the story of how he was just so, so bullied. Um, And he was able to use that. Like you can use most things to glorify God, but he had a lot of pain and I was able to read it and I share that story. Um, and then I asked the sixth graders to really think about when I mentioned those three positions, I said, some of you in here were like, oh, no, everybody thought of me. And some of you were like, oh, that's why I came to this school, because I was bullied and I'm looking for something different or some, some of you know exactly who you need to go and confront or who you need to tell an adult about, because those are the kinds of things you do. And I said, this isn't something that's for just children. This happens with adults too. And then I used that racism book and we just kind of talked about how in the world that we're living in, there are three kinds of people and you're either being mean to someone because the color of their skin is different or you have a different color skin and you feel that pain or you know about it and you're continuing to live your life as if it doesn't happen or you're really trying to do something about it. And we didn't really have a discussion. Um, I think they were just a little bit just silenced. Like that's a whole lot to talk about. That's a whole lot to think about. Um, And so I just went with that silence and I had them pray silently at their desk about, what God would have them do to make a difference this year. And then using a sanitized between each time Sharpie <laughs> six feet apart, they walked up to the bully board and signed their name. So, I mean, I don't have any like life changing stories that have come from that, but yeah. It's then the book you use, um, it's called a kid's
1: book about racism, right? Mm-hmm. And Jelani memory is the author of that. Um, and there's a really good version of it. It's a video like on, on YouTube. Is that the, is it, did you use the recorded version or did you have
0: the book? I did. I had to do like a summary of it kind of. Yes. That's the one on YouTube is the one that I did. We just didn't get to play the whole entire thing in each class because gotcha. sometimes you talk a little bit too long. Yeah. And like, oh, I got to play this. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: but, but it's a, you know, it's a version that he recorded. Sometimes people like record it and you're not really sure if you're allowed to use it. Well, yeah. he recorded this one. So it's it's legit. Cool. Um, but, you know, I think the silence is OK. I think that probably in the population that's at your school, it's very likely that some of them have never had a conversation about race and racism. Like I think mm-hmm. that I think that that's totally within the realm of possibility <laughs> or likely. Well, and I
0: think that there's a lot of adults who, when that conversation comes up, um, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, Mm -hmm. you know? So just that whole silence of, sometimes it's just good to be silent. It's just good to be introspective and to think about, um, what you're being confronted with. So,
1: and I can say that, you know, a year ago we were talking about this, that a year ago that wasn't on your radar, that you know, this is For a small sure. thing, but you would not have included this book in your in your in your conversation about bullying, right? Included that conversation, even. Yeah. Um, I can. I want to share something I learned this week. We, my a group, there's a group of us at school that have continued to meet every other week and talk about issues related to anti racism, and it's it's still. Um, What's it called? Not required. It's still optional. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and you know, we're having a fairly um, regular group of people come, and we have a topic that we're researching, kind of, or looking into each week with with resources that we've given them to look at, um, and then we come and talk about them. And this week's question was directly a result of one that one of our teachers shared, and and she, you know, asked. And we had, like, a survey at the beginning about what do you want to talk about. And she asked about how do we get more black teachers, specifically black male teachers, and, and keep them. Yeah, I don't know exactly how she phrased it, but that was what it was about. So we we dove into that this week to honor her really important question. And um one of the, like, just striking things that I learned. So, you know, first you have to think about why would we care? Why would we want to have more black teachers in our building or teachers of color in our building
2: or does it matter.
1: Yeah. Any of those, you know, um, like we, I know that, but we we had to establish that Mm -hmm. because for, to hold the whole conversation. So, you know, not only does it help representation, like just the fact of students seeing themselves in the, in Mm -hmm. the faculty. Um, Mm -hmm. but one of the, over and over and over the statistics say this the numbers say that students do better with a teacher of color and there were there were lots of different um statistics but this is the one that just i had to read it like three times like oh my gosh this is amazing so i'm gonna read it to you having at least one black teacher in grades three to five cut the high school dropout rate in half for black boys
2: can you say it one more time
1: yeah having at least one black teacher in grades three to five cut the high school dropout rate in half for black boys Wow! so we're talking about like where we are where we teach you know where most people who might listen to this podcast if they, if they were to have one black teacher the, the, the benefit of that is sustained you know it doesn't stop benefiting them in sixth grade hmm. it, it changes what happens all the way to high school you know
0: that's amazing
1: wow. So like,
0: yeah, I was just thinking like, you know how sometimes in third grade you have more than one teacher. So even if you only have one black teacher on your staff, maybe you think about departmentalizing so that every kid gets that
1: teacher, you know, spread that person real thin. Uh, I don't know about that. Um,
2: Well, I think, you know, say in those years you have, you know, rounded to 10 teachers, That's a 10% increase in teachers of color gives you a 50% better chance. Isn't that true? Yeah. Of, Mm. of staying in school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's important, right? (laughs) And so we talked, we talked about all the parts of the pipeline to get to, to borrow from that term to, you know, all the parts of the pipeline to get black teachers into our building it's you know starts in elementary school and in what they see from teachers you know and then into high school into graduating high school and then choosing to go to college and then you know a huge part of it is that a larger percentage of people of color who start college don't finish college as compared to white people who start and then a big part of that is financial um or just having support and then you know then it goes into your hiring practices and then most importantly that we can control are well your hiring and i guess your recruiting practices right but then you have to create a culture or or an environment where people of color want to stay you can get you can get all the people in there but if you don't have a staff that supports them yeah and makes it a place that they want to work, then you're not going to keep them and you know your, your retention goes down and then you're just right back to where you started.
2: Yeah. They can't just be there superficially so that, you know, yeah. so that you can affect dropout rates. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an important thing to think about, but they can't just be dropout reducers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the retention rate of teachers of color is lower, but for all of these reasons, you know, yeah. including, including financial. So, certainly we didn't solve it in an in a, in a hour, but we, we talked about it and, and brought it forth and named it. And, yeah. and I'm hoping that we can be more intentional about it this year. And that's
2: I, interesting. That's something I was thinking about. Um, you know, I don't interact with students at work, but I do, you know, I see students, I'm aware of some of the, the student trends and issues like that. But what I, what I, who I interact with is faculty, And, um, you know, at the university, it's been pretty, you know, they have, we have a very not diverse faculty and, you know, that's just historically, I think I'm not going to say all of higher ed is like that, but a lot of schools, especially smaller schools, especially not, you know, big city schools Mm -hmm. are, are like that. And we have intentionally tried to, um, make changes and, you know, making a lot of changes and, and including e- equity advocates on hiring committees. And I think we've done a better job at hiring uh, faculty members of color, but we're running into the same thing of being able to retain, keep faculty uh, members of color because they get there and they look around and they see, whoa, this faculty is really white. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, we are trying to do better to right now, a, a push to really make sure we are equitable in all of our, um, tenure and promotion practices and, you know, having some of that, that same, those same advocates and people work with, um, tenure promotion groups, not just hiring. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the guys who's been, who's been spearheading this has said, you know, there's plenty of studies about, you know, getting, you know, once you have a faculty member of color, you know, the, the, and I don't know the, the, um, stats like you were talking about, but you know, it's not just about getting somebody and, and hiring somebody you have to keep, you have to keep people. And, um, until there, until we have made it equitable and made it favorable for faculty members of color to stay, we, it, you know, first off, you're not going to get as, you know, are not going to get a lot of faculty members if, if, you know, on their visit or on their tour, they say it's just a bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that we're really trying to work on as well and I don't you know I don't know that there's any of those statistics of of you know student completion but there is statistics of students seeing somebody that's like them and you know what if you you know go to college thinking you want to be a math professor, and I am say math just because that's what we're doing here. It could be anything, but if you walk in the math department and there's not a single math professor that looks like you, or a professor in the entire building of sciences that looks like you, yeah, um, that's gonna make that's gonna make a big impact on, like, well, maybe this isn't what I, you know, is the right place, or at least so. not here either. Yeah, or yeah, or not here.
1: Yep.
0: So, all right, well. I think that... And there you go. More questions. That's yeah. how I feel like we leave these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we've it's... talked about it. And we've hammered it out. But it's just a ongoing thing we, that you have to call... be aware of. And We
1: call that in, in one of the groups that I'm meeting in being okay with non-closure. And I've, oh. I, you don't know how many like conversations I've ended in the last couple of weeks with it's okay to have non-closure and we will be, it's, you can, you can sit in that. It's yeah. okay. So non-closure. There we go. All right, Ruth, I want to hear moving into um, math, but with a, still having a, that lens, I want to hear about what kinds of things you've had to change because you are in the building doing social distancing, teaching math in a pandemic. Let's hear about it.
0: Okay. So, um, I mentioned that my students are six feet apart, which means that I have taken all of the furniture out of my classroom and put it in the attic at my house. I have a teacher desk and, um, my, my white my Promethean board that's on wheels, but the whole rest of the space had to be used for student desk. Um, I still have my vertical boards post on the wall but we haven't used them yet cuz i haven't figured out how to use them socially distance at this point
2: cuz my tell students me what, a, what a vertical board is
0: so we what was a it's a vpn is that right a vertical, vertical permanent vertical non-permanent surface non-permanent DNP. and so i don't know if we even talked about this on a previous episode but there's some research about how if a kid can stand up and write vertically it it changes okay their ability to understand and gives them sometimes it's just seeing it in a different way. Instead of writing it horizontal on your desk, you stand up. So it's just whiteboards that I've put all over my classroom. And I did it last year and this year was like, well, I probably won't use them, but I just find myself being more and more creative. Um, So my desks are apart. The kids are wearing masks Um, I'm sanitizing in between every single student who uses an iPad because I have a class set. You don't have your own. Um, And one day last week, the iPads wouldn't work because something about the Google app is an 18 and above app. And because the IT guys had said that these were 13 and below iPads, Google kept taking the app off and we couldn't get in Google classroom. It was just an it nightmare. And so I just said, okay, we're going to, and because I have taught integers, this is like, I don't know how many years I've done it with some, you know, quality stuff. I remembered I had these cards that I had made and sorting them. And in the past, you put them on your desk and you sort them into groups with your team. And this time I was like, um, Okay, right here on the floor in the middle of your four desk, I'm going to lay these cards and one of you put on a mask and sit on the floor and your classmates tell you how to sort them. And so students sort them however they think. And then we get to the end and they sort them in positive and negative, And we talk about integers in real life. So I was able to just fly by the seat of my pants and run over to my closet and get that until the IT guys were able to fix the iPad issues. Um and it was it was okay. It wasn't ideal with them not being able to talk and touch the same cards, but they made it work. They take they took turns um they sharing had- with you know what they were supposed to do on the floor. And man, I just don't get a break. Like the kids eat in my room, the kids have to wait until you've sanitized their desk to leave so the time in the hallway is short. And the kids know the importance of not congregating in the hallway. So as soon as they leave, they go to the next room and are just waiting by you by the desk for you to sanitize. And you don't realize how much you do, like even the get back to the beginning of the warm up on the slide, like if I've showed a video or whatever, like which one doesn't belong oh, man, I've got all those answers from last class written on there. Yeah. (laughs) And here come these kids, and I haven't erased it. Um, So they eat lunch with me, and there's no microwaves in the building. You don't go to the teacher's lounge. You just are are in their space. No Um, microwaves in the building? What the heck? Well, it's just like sanitizing in between. And so they used to have them in the cafeteria, and kids would use them all the time. And when they moved to the classrooms, the administration just said, there's just too much to worry about if they're all punching buttons on the microwave. So if you're a teacher and you have a microwave in your classroom, take it home. Wow. It's not fair if we said no microwaves and there's one class that has access to it. All right. So, so have been you making some salads and sandwiches,
2: yeah. cold sandwiches? It is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> have you tried, um, Have you used any manipulatives yet? Um, I have not. They are coming with my integer introduction to addition. We're going to use the red and yellow chips. And I bought um,
2: seven million chips. Uh, Five
0: individual containers. And I have sorted out my foam and my plastic chips. (laughs) And so we're going to put the plastic ones in the containers and. There will be a sanitizing wipe and the kids will have to wipe down every chip after they've done it. I, I just don't know how to teach manipula- or teach <laughs> integers without red and yellow chips.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I how did am- find a really cool. Do you know who does math as visual? I know I should probably know. I think it's one who of the, does uh, that um, hold on. I'll look. It's one of the guys on the other podcast. Uh, Yes. So he has done some really cool integer videos that I'm going to use as an introduction. And... Kyle Pierce. Kyle Pierce. Okay. So he has like adding integers and subtracting integers and multiplying. And the videos are the silent ones where the icons just show up and then disappear and the kids write about what they see. Cool. Cool. So I'm excited to use that as an introduction, um, and think, then we're gonna, you know, pull out the chips, and we're also going to the playground. I we're gonna be socially distanced, but there's just a lot of merit in being able to be on the football field, and
1: yeah, <laughs> I think it's worth when notice yards. noting that two years ago is when we were like. Th- in the thick of having these conversations about changing our teaching for both of us right Mm -hmm. this was my my year teaching fifth grade fourth grade and you know you had you were like in the middle of your program and you were trying to change things based on what the conversations we were having and so then you had another year to kind of perfect it and this is really your third year which I've always said I've only had a third year a couple of times, but when I get to the third year, maybe once, I don't know, when I get to the third year, it's like, oh, I kind of know what I'm doing. Not that you should stay there and stay stale, but mm-hmm. like your your uh, stress level, take out COVID, but your stress level of the planning <laughs> seems so minimal because you've done the work yep. of improving it.
2: I think a lot of times well, you know and, the content, you know the routine, you know the sequence, and you can really work on yeah. quality changes, and, and and you're not stressing to keep ahead of the students. You're you know you've got that. You're you're trying to add things to make it better.
0: Yeah, and I will say that it yes, change is really important. But now with COVID, going back to those videos that we made six years ago are huge because I have kids who are being quarantined and so they're missing two weeks of school and they are supposed to keep up with what's going on in the classroom. Um, and being able to say, listen, I'm teaching integers and here's a video you can watch to try to keep yourself up is, is huge to be able to have access to those. And YouTube is really big in middle schoolers eyes way bigger than it was when we started yeah. like they are just super impressed that i have 636 followers little do they know that they're probably all parents of previous kids who never <laughs> been on youtube but
1: <laughs> they are my followers i love that ruth knows exactly how many
0: followers she has that's well super because cool. i have said like it, you
2: don't know yours
0: i don't know mine yeah okay. stop well if I pulled you up and your students were like, how many followers does she have? Look at her followers. Look at her followers. You just heard it in yeah. every single class. Yeah. Um, they noticed, I can't wait to do my scientific notation where I pull up the videos of how many views are there because yeah. I'm going to use some of mine so I can show them the difference in scientific notation. Yes. Like this is 1000 compared to whatever <laughs> Trace, video I did last year.
2: Trace, you have 8.19,000 subscribers.
1: 8.19 that's a really so weird way to say it's it. it's like yeah so 8190 x yeah okay. you know? yeah great um you last night when we were making a plan ruth you said you wanted to talk about two more things you had adding integers
0: and desmos were two more things you wanted to talk about okay so really quick i just wanted to give a shout out to desmos because like you said i um kind of know what I'm doing with integers. And Desmos has so many more options than three years ago when I started this and wanted to use Desmos a lot and really felt like it was high school. And I have found that if I am on the Desmos page and I, like example, I typed, typed in integers, well, one activity came up. But if I just go to Google or Safari and type in integers, Desmos, 15 or 16 activities come up and that Mm -hmm. has something to do with Desmos making the activity compared to a teacher making it. And so there's just a whole lot more teachers that are doing middle school stuff and man, the discovery on them and the things that the students can do and figure out on their own have been super, super cool. So I just, If you're trying to get into Desmos, I would just recommend you using a search engine outside of the website itself. It still takes you to the exact same website. And then if you want to, I've actually started making collections and adding those into folders so I know where to find them. And then I can find them on my Desmos page because I've um, linked them there. The other thing that is super cool is I got to add my classes from Google Classroom in less than three minutes. I just was able to say add a class. And so now when I have a Desmos activity, it goes right to Google classroom and the kids don't have to have a code and they don't have to log in. They don't have to type their name. They just click on the activity and it gives them all that information. So
1: I have to say that, um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump off for just a second, but we, um, I was working with all of fifth grade across the division and a lot of the teachers were like, we can't overwhelm them with um, different, too many technology tools. And I would have really fought for Desmos to be one of them, but knowing that no one knew how to use it yet, I didn't. But it's my hope that before this is all over that I can get some teachers to start assigning it and that that fact that they can connect that straight to the Google Classroom will Help me sell it. I sounds think sounds like an infomercial
2: in yeah. just three minutes. Yeah, all
1: <laughs> Yeah. all right. Tell us about. Do so. you had
0: something about adding integers? You want to say right, and that was kind of the the story behind um, just teaching the way that we teach and helping a student understand why. Because let's be honest, Tracy. Some days it would just be easier for me to stand up and say when you are subtracting integers change the subtraction sign to, you know, add the opposite, write it down, add the opposite. That's the rule. Do this, do this. And I don't ever say that in sixth grade. Um, I, I, I let them leave with a strategy of use the chips, use the number line. Um, and one of the strategies that actually came up last year from a student was if I had, um, five minus negative four, minus 7 plus 12, we would circle each individual number and the signs in front of it. And then we would add those together. And, you know, some kids were like, can we just do it in our head and not circle it? Absolutely. But this is the strategy that I'm leaving you with. So we're going to circle these and add them. And I'm um, tutoring a student that I had last year who is in pre-algebra now. And she's, having tutoring because her mom just wants her to stay ahead. It's not like she is struggling, but she um, is in my classroom after school and she's preparing for an adding integer test, adding and subtracting. And she's changing every single sign every single time. Even if it says like seven minus five, she's changing it to seven plus negative five. And I just ask her why. And she's like, well, that's the rule. And I understand it. It makes sense. Okay, well, tell me why it makes sense. And when we were able to make that connection of this is what we did in sixth grade, and now you understand why, yes, this algorithm is great. And algorithms typically are the fastest way to solve problems. But look how much success you're having because you understand why. And it's not just a rule of something that you do. And how do you know that you don't do it with multiplication and division and you only do it with subtraction? And she said, Well, because multiplication is equal groups and you're not putting them together. I'm like, Okay, you got, you know, you know that you're counting groups and you're not just taking this number and this number and putting them together. So it was just confirmation that if you just get them to understand why they're doing what they're doing, then as they progress, they really do have the background knowledge that they need to be successful.
1: Even if they're so. given an algorithm mm-hmm. about what you taught them conceptually, it's, 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 you're saying it's sort of stuck around.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's okay to have the algorithm because mm-hmm. you have the, you have the before part. Yeah. That's um,
2: cool.
0: So anyways, it was just confirmation of, okay, I should, you know, continue to do this. And I'm not going to say I don't, because I do give them algorithms, but I'm hoping that I'm giving them an algorithm to something they've already learned the why to. Yeah, cool. So, so I feel like
1: my com- my conversations and what I'm doing is, is way different because I'm, like I said before, working with fifth grade teachers across the division. Um, we also have some special ed teachers on our team and some STEM teachers on our team. Um so I've been sort of supervising a group of about forty to forty five people. Um and, and I have I have a couple other people that are helping me with that now, but I've been able to focus on the math group, which has been great, yeah. of course.
0: Um and, you're and doing virtual. I don't think we Yeah, that's true. Kind of I should explain to your, it's, what your, I should say that your we're, school
1: division. We're all virtual and um we're using Google Classroom. And it started out that they it was a good idea. I got the reason behind it. They really wanted equity across the division. And so they were asking all grades to plan together, like each grade to plan together and basically push out the same thing on Google classroom. um, So that a teacher, you know, you didn't have a teacher in one school, you know, going all just totally over the top. And then a teacher over here doing like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they they were saying how that would be very visible but for parents it, I mean we know that that's how it works anyway, right from you know from school to school and face to face that's
2: what happens I well, um, mean parents talk to each other and compare with their imagine their students yeah, <laughs>
1: but this would be even easier to compare if it was online and in the house so but they've sort of they've pivoted is their word and and just realized how hard it is to get. 45 people to agree on how to teach any one thing right that's that's a really hard task um so i i will say something that i like that they have have done is use the 5e lesson plan model which came out of science Um uh, it started with a group of science teachers but i think it does really work well for math too um and so i'll go through quickly and talk about what those are and one so the first e is um hello
2: that engage. With
1: the engage there you go <laughs> yeah the first e is engage which um i'm gonna have to talk about how we've used it in our group and I'm going to say, I can't promise you that these definitions that I'm giving are exactly what the people who made this are think how they thought about it, you know? Um, But that's sort of getting them interested and also maybe drawing on some background knowledge. To me, that's your perfect place to do some sort of number talk or to present some sort of real life example For them to just talk about to start to get your brain Mm -hmm. your activator, you know. The second one is explore.
2: What I pulled it up because I I I wanted to see what they were. Okay, Um,
1: the second one is explore, which to me matches in the sort of the lesson plan that we've been. using in math it's like the dig in and the the mess with the task part you know the, mm-hmm. the the part of doing the task um so maybe the engage can also be like setting up the task possibly but um like in prime and composite it, the in the explore part is where you would have the have tiles and try to see all the different ways you can make rectangles to see if you have more than one way which makes it a composite number um so it's the it's the messing with it before you've had the direct instruction basically then you go into the explain and it's important to note that it's the teacher and the student doing the explaining not just the teacher but to me that's the what comes in a in a we're talking about a um, before during and after model that's in van de wall like for the task that would mm-hmm. be the part after where you are t- organizing your conversation and discussing what happened in order to kind of do the explaining part or in order to help the students do the explaining part of what was happening mathematically. So that's also where you can do some direct instruction and then where the te- where the students can kind of explain back what they understand um, in this virtual format that's the place where you' probably just have to put the video the instructional video right. of what you're doing um what you're learning and then the next one is the extend and the elaborate and we have kind of disagreed a bit about what that should be but in
2: that's just one e right
1: yes and and i'm not sure that that's exactly how it's written in the one like the first people who started it yeah but that's
2: that's not because in my head that was four and five right no that's just
1: one extend and elaborate so in our, as we've been talking about it in our division, that's where you might remediate if you need to, or that's where you might add a challenge if you need to. To me, in, in real life and math, that's the perfect place to put your um, open, open middle, middle. problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you going to say that too? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then the final one is evaluate, which is your assessment. Of course, you would be evaluating all along with formative assessments, but you'd have some sort of evaluation at the end. So we've been planning with that, um, and I think it's worked better in math and science than it would has in reading, for sure. It's been a struggle to figure out how to fit reading within that, um, but I really like it, and the cool thing about it is that it's not how teachers across the division teach. Like, uh, my my brain could easily tweak what I'm doing and put it in that format. You know, I, I could see where my before, during and after task thing fits, it goes nicely into that. But most people I'm learning, not most, but a lot of people I'm learning start with the vocabulary. They start with the direct instruction and they might do the exploring. Um, but but that's start with the
0: explanation. Yeah.
1: And so it's been an opportunity to been a little bit of opportunity for my students to show off a bit my i mean my teachers you <laughs> <Yes>. know <laughs> my teachers to show off a bit and like show that they understand the engage and the explore because we've we've been working on that you know mm-hmm. even though we didn't call it that um so yeah that's where we are i did want to talk about a moment that was really cool um we were sort of diving into the the content of Prime and Composite, and I I really didn't want to just dive into the activities. I, what are we going to teach? You know, what or what are we going to do? I wanted them to step back and unpack it together. And one of the reasons I would do that is because I knew we had brand new, we have at least one brand new teacher in our team. And we also have, um, you know, special ed teachers who, who teach everything. You know, mm-hmm. I can't, I don't know the comfort level with Prime and Composite of all the people in this Zoom room. So I knew we need to start from the beginning. Um, And so I, (laughs) as painful as it was, I made them kind of unpack it, talk, read that, read through the entire standard together. What are the things that stand out? Where are the things that you know that they struggle with? And what are some of the strategies that you use? All that kind of stuff. Um, Before we ever went to planning the assessment because that should go first, right? Backwards design and then going back and filling in the the activities. And we got kind of rolling on teachers, you know, just throwing out things that to them seem very, um, oh, I always do that. And I know exactly what that's about. You know, somebody throwing out prime factorization and somebody throwing out rainbow, what do they call it? Rainbow factors. And, at one point I was like, I realized we had gone a little bit into like teacher jargon, you know, and we were speaking this language that if it was your first time doing this, you would not know what was going on. And I'm like, and people were not, nobody was yet speaking up saying, I don't know what that means, which is what I wanted to happen, but we hadn't created space for it. And so I was like, I'm going to stop us here and we need to, keep in mind who's in the room and we are saying these really great things, but there might be people who haven't heard it. They don't know this language because we're using teacher language, you know, rainbow factors. That's not necessarily, that's not a mathematical term. That's yeah. I, I got nothing yeah. That. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, it's your responsibility. If you don't know what that means, it's as hard as it is. You gotta speak up and say, I don't know what that means. And bless her, there's a teacher who was like, Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. And and just came right out there and was like, I'm I'm lost. And it was such a cool moment because yeah. we I was like, Thank you. You can't be the only one in the room. Thank you for being brave enough to say that. And I quick um made a jam board. I don't I don't know if we have access. I've never seen the I've never used the whiteboard inside Zoom to know enough how it works. So I quick made a Jamboard and shared the Jamboard with everybody. And they all opened it up. So I wasn't sharing my screen. They all opened Uh it up. And I was like, okay, we're talking about rainbow factors. Who's going to teach us how to do rainbow factors? And so everybody was looking at the same Jamboard and then one person was talking us through drawing what they meant by rainbow factors. And all that means is if you have a number like 24, you it's a teacher made up thing for like write the first factor of the number. So you'd write one over on the left-hand side and then you'd draw a rainbow, big old rainbow to 24. It's, it's pair factor pair that makes 24. And then you go in and you make the next number would be two and you draw a rainbow shape over here next to 24 and you write 12. And so it helps you keep going. So when you get in the middle to three and four, it's kind of like an indication that you can stop. You've listed all the factors. Gotcha. It's not anything complicated. Um, it's just a way to organize writing down mm-hmm. a list of factors. Um, and then we had another teacher who was like, yeah, when you keep saying Siv of... A lot of the teachers knew what the sieve of Eratosthenes was. Um, and then one teacher was a different teacher.
2: Really? There were a lot that did know?
1: Yeah, because they, if you've taught prime and composite for five or six years you've probably seen that you know we'll link to the best video um in case you haven't heard us talk about it before um
2: and we have talked about it a couple times yeah sorry
1: (laughs) um but you know i i was able to quick pull up a um hundreds chart and show them how that worked so it just was it felt like a good coaching moment and and good that they were able to feel brave enough to indicate that they didn't know Um, I guess my purpose for sharing that is to remember to give people space to not know and Mm -hmm. however you can try to build that. You got anything else to say about that, Ruth? I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, and then I had to share a funny moment, (laughs) (laughs) which was that I've also been helping Members of the third grade team a bit, um, just because I have some friends in the third grade team and they were struggling with the engage and explore part, and a a teacher asked me, you know, what could we do for engage and explore in rounding? And so I I told her, and um, she. It was like she didn't. Qu- I, I think I didn't explain it very well. So I ended up making, like, instead of having her make the thing that I was describing, I ended up making it myself. And my idea was like, um, tell a story. So it was kind of like a kind of like a starting task, a very simple task: tell a story where there are two kids and they both want a Nintendo. What do I call it, Nintendo Switch, and. They, they look up how expensive it is, and it's like $375 or something. Trip over there. Trip is listening to us. I don't know what he's saying. Something about it. Um, and one person, one of the kids goes to his mom and says, Mom, can I get a Nintendo Switch? It's about $300. And the other kid goes to his mom and says, Mom, can I get a Nintendo Switch? It's about $400. And... The question is, which kid is more accurate um, about in, in, in sharing these? Have you already s- seen this in school trip? Did you get this assignment? No, but the, what you said was how much it is. He, Oh, he said that my number was accurate. He hasn't gotcha. gotten it. He might get assigned this assignment next week. Right. Um, so I made a Google form, and I'll share it on the, it's not amazing, but I made a Google form <laughs> that was sort of walking through that, Um. And it was very, very simple. Like, here's two kids, and they want, um, they both want a Nintendo Switch. How much do you think that, like, estimate first, how much do you think the Nintendo Switch is going to cost?
2: Because I was way off when I did this.
1: Yeah, you thought it was way cheaper, right? Yeah. yeah. So you had to estimate, and then you went to the, net. it's on a Google form. So then you, you know how you can make sections on a Google form. You went to the next section, and it said. Which is um, like a
2: next page you can't see into the next section.
1: Right. And it says. um. How was your estimate too high, too low or just right? And was your estimate um, way off or a little bit off or just right? And then you move to the next slide and it tells the part about the um, the kids and what they told their moms so it got put on the plan and then I get this really funny text message from a friend on our in my, my building who's like and it's her face and she's like la- she's like video videoed herself and she's like oh my gosh look at this assignment I cannot understand how is this rounding and then she was just like laughing at how terrible this thing was that she'd seen and and she it's she was laughing at what I had created and like totally trashing it because she she had only seen the the first page, which was like a picture of these two boys and they both wanted Nintendo yeah. Switch and what how much how much does it cost how much do you estimate it costs? And she's like, How is that rounding? What is this? And am yeah. I just like died laughing, like no way, this is mine. So I, I ended up sending her um Another message is like that's really funny. You know why it's really funny? Because I made it, <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. <laughs> you have to go to the next page.
2: <laughs> Keep going. Yeah.
1: So it was a really funny moment and planning. And once um, she saw the whole thing, she was like, "Yeah, I get this. Um, I don't. I don't have any reason that to share that other than it was really funny. I don't know.
0: There's no. There's no point from sharing that. <laughs> well, I think that it's good to share because that was a really good idea for engaging with rounding because if there's a time where you're like, okay, this is the rule. I feel like rounding, you know, all the creativity comes in the creative way to make the rounding rule memorizable instead of understanding what rounding, what the purpose is. Yeah. Um, We had this really cool discussion during our integer talk about, uh, Oh, we were doing absolute value. And I show this edited clip of Ferris Bueller's day off when Ferris goes into his friend's garage and they take his dad's car, his Ferrari out. And Ferris is like, don't worry, we'll take the miles off because we'll drive home backwards. And at the end, Ferris says, how many miles were on this car? And the kid's like, a hundred and three and halfway between six tenths and seven tenths. Like that's how many miles is on it. And so we took that and wrote it up there because it was like 300 and some when they were done and was like, what does that mean? Halfway between, I forgot what I just said, six tenths and seven tenths. And we just got to have this like really cool discussion about how numbers go on forever and how there's an infinite number there's an infinite amount of numbers between every two numbers. Yeah. Just, you know, you can just keep spreading that number line. Um, So the whole like idea of rounding and all that kind of stuff to be able to engage students, I thought your thing was really cool. So thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's merit in sharing it for teachers out there who are doing rounding to give them the purpose before they. Yeah. Yeah. uh,
1: And and I think even with something
0: to them, third
1: graders even without reviewing what second grade rounding looked like they can still have something to say about it they could mm-hmm. say 300 is a good answer because the mom will might be more likely to buy it you know <laughs> yeah. like and it's still it's still within 300 you know the, the number is or they can say 400 is a better answer because it's 300 Said to have is closer to 400 i feel like i feel like almost anybody could attack that problem with some sort of good justification. So yeah, that's the idea of where the engage and the explore kind of come in. Well, that's pretty much what we had on our list to, yeah. ch- to chat about today. Um So I, th- I, I do know that Jay's been saving something he wants to talk about. Um So I'm excited. This will be your takeaway, I guess. Or, yeah, sure. And then Ruth and I'll share our takeaways and
2: yeah. So my takeaway usually is a bring here, not a takeaway. Right. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I was I found something an article I'm sure it's at some point online that I got back to the original article, um, and it was talking about the the musical Hamilton and how many words are in the musical Hamilton compared to other musicals, and the the statement were or, or, or the the it's really talking about how fast people are singing or rapping in a lot of in a lot of the musical Hamilton and they you know looked at other. Modern musicals looked at other, you know, historical operettas and and kind of compared to several different, um, you know, several different benchmarks in in musical theater and and just interesting how they were trying to see how fast some of the singers sing and how fast the words come and there was a, a statement that Lynn Manuel Miranda said you know if we had sang this at the pace of a regular musical, we'd be on stage for 12 hours and and that kind of thing. And, and so they, this, this website, um, 538, and this is, this, this article's like five years old. It's not a new article. Um, but they broke down really how long, how many words, how, you know, how quickly they were, how quickly they were saying or sung. Um, and they, and they looked at the total words of Hamilton has 20,000 words, in the book and then you know that they say in okay and their rate is 144 words per minute and like the next fastest one is 77 words per minute it's Whoa. twice as fast as the next one
1: That's awesome. and they
2: said depending on you know looking at the pace of other musicals it would have been anywhere between four and six hours long had they sung at the pace of a normal of a normal m- musical like you compare it to something like oklahoma it would have been five hours and 51 minutes Whoa. to get through what is a two hour and 23 minute album like they they, they compared the cast album not a live performance because okay. that's you know best thing to compare against and it was just interesting to hear you know how fast and the fastest part in in, in hamilton is, a, is a, a little little sections in the song guns and ships where um the Lafayette character who in the cast recording was was sung by David Diggs and he is saying six point three words per second whoa like that's how fast he's what? he's he's spitting through he's you know getting through words now here are little surges so he knows what to do in the trench ingenuity' with the French I mean sure you're gonna have to use them eventually what's he gonna do in the bench I mean no one has Mauriceson matches my practical tactical brilliant you want to fight for your land back' a right hand man you know and it's kind of broken up in in their song um and they say that wasn't the highest but they they look at um there's a part in um Satisfied go, go. So this is what it feels like To match
0: with someone at your level What the hell is the catch It's the feeling of freedom Of seeing the light It's Ben Franklin With the key and a kite You see it right The conversation lasted Two minutes Maybe three minutes Everything we said In total agreement It's a dream And it's a bit of a dance A bit of a posture It's a bit of a stance He's a bit of a flirt But I'ma give it a chance I asked the better She's flying by the seat of his pants. pants
2: and she's singing and she, you know, sustained at five words per second for like, wow. you know, half a minute of this, this verse. And it's just really interesting to, to compare. And I, of course I pulled them all and listened to them and some of the other musicals they compare it to, um, Sontimes company, there's a song, Not Getting Married Today, where it's, you know, very formal and then...
1: Pardon me, is everybody there? Because if everybody's there, I want to thank you all for coming to the wedding. I'd appreciate your going even more. I mean, you must have lots of better things to do and not a word of it to Paul. Remember, Paul, you know the man I'm going to marry, but I'm not, because I wouldn't ruin anyone as wonderful as he is. But I thank you all for the gifts and the flowers. Thank you all. Now it's back to the showers. Don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today.
2: Not only is this does this stand out because of just how much content and how many words they're able to put in, because it's not a traditional musical style it's it's something new but they also said that any other case where there's this much speed through songs that the characters like manic or, or you know it's just like a, a a crazy and it's just the norm for this anyway it's just interesting you know to be interested in the musical but also to see how it compares mathematically and and bringing in statistics and you know how fast it was, it's an interesting article cool. it's not huge but it's, it's some great examples
1: awesome thanks
0: for. well i that. just wrote all that down for my ratio lesson because you said words per minute and we talk about that so i'm gonna words per second right well you started with words oh, per minute it's yeah, actually okay. three pages three little sticky notes gotcha. now because you kept going <laughs> all right what's your takeaway ruth I wrote down your five E's and I like, I kind of know what I'm doing as I'm heading into units, but I really want to make sure that I've got each of those represented. And your little reminder of backward design reminded me to go back and look at my integer test and change it or make sure that it's set for the evaluation of what I'm actually going to teach. That's good.
1: I think my takeaway is we we had to start the beginning over. Um, so I don't know if you said this the first time or the second time or both times. <laughs> but <laughs> at some point at the beginning, you said about how studying about anti-racism has given you a mindset that, you know, helps you kind of view things through this mm-hmm. lens and just the... <sighs> just the confirmation that that really does happen like the more you study the more you talk about it the more you learn the more you see inequities that are happening around you and if you're trying to find them you will find them and then you will know what to do about it you know and I, I'm thinking about um just this weekend I my I was like oh there's something that's happening about grouping basically I won't like not give I won't go into all of it but there's, you know, a grouping issue that's happening in our division, and, and I'm like, I can't just sit by and let this happen without calling out what's really happening here and and letting someone know, like, here are the problems, here are the inequities of, of this grouping situation. And so I wrote my rowdy email and, you know um, – if you you know if you look for those places you're gonna find them and you can know where to use your power you know we have a lot of power as teachers and and as white teachers, um, mm-hmm. and as, I'm not claiming that as a good thing I'm just claiming it as a fact and so if you look for them you'll find the places that you can use your power in a good way. Um, I got that recently from something that Mary and Dingle posted like yesterday that was, um,
0: and. I think there's merit in not just the fact that you have power, but you also have um, intelligence. And we've read about it and you can speak intelligently about it instead of just passionate. You know, sometimes people will listen because, oh, well, Tracy has done a lot of things and she has proven that she has studied this. So let's listen to her.
1: Yeah. Um, And I and I threw in. I, I got quotes from catalyzing change in my email, lots of quotes and, you know, kind of pointed to a source outside of myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Jay's forever bringing in stuff too. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave us with one more thing. There's a new, um, Twitter, what do you call it? Uh,
2: account, account. Let's go on a
1: new Twitter account called black women math. It's at black women math. Um, and it's a collective of hidden voices in math education we provide expert knowledge in math education in a way that celebrates the brilliance of black children and i just if you're not already following them i would encourage you to follow them because they are posting some great um, blog posts and yeah i think it's i think it's a great cool i like their i like what they're doing there so i just want to amplify their voices
2: way to go
1: yep yeah. all right friends um Ruth, and J- it is um, Labor Day, right? Today is that yes. what the, I, I get Labor Day, Memorial Labor day, day, day mixed yes. up? <laughs> it's Labor Day. Um, we actually recorded before breakfast for yeah. the first time in a very long time. Um, yeah. So, Ruth, I hope you enjoy your Labor Day. Jay Profit, sorry you have to go to work. Yeah. Um, but have a great day, and I'll see you on a run tomorrow.
0: Okay. Awesome. Bye. <laughs>